1: exciting, enthralling, engaging, educational, and some other stuff that I can't think of right now, episode of FNO Tech. We're here with... Lee Boyd. Big pause. I'm pausing here. I'm pausing so people can really kind of take in that they're here with Lee Boyd.
2: Oh, I thought it was a pause for you.
1: And his little helper, Rob Beller. Hi, Rob. I'm your little helper.
2: I'm glad to be doing a podcast with you today, Rob. Oh, uh, really? Why is that? Well, why glad? Podcasts are fun. Podcasts are fun. They're fun to do. Yeah. Yeah, we enjoy them, don't we? I enjoy them because they it, they expand my mind. I enjoy them because they're just fun to do. It's fun to interview people. Yeah, I kind of
1: like it. And and we have a really we 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 go in a little bit different direction today,
2: right? Yeah. We, with a, with uh, speaking a, of interview, return guest.
1: A return guest, a veteran of the FNO InsureTech episode world, Mr. Brian Falchuk from nowhere, from himself.
2: Yeah, yeah. He was last on with us and he was talking about Hi Marley. And Brian is a, um, he has been in this world of insurance, but he's an author. He's done three different TED Talks. He has all this knowledge, and he wants to pass knowledge on. And today we're going to get to talk a little bit about a new book that Brian is writing and will be released this coming June. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't wait to read the email for I, one minute? <laughs> I, I couldn't. I, yeah,
1: Brian... Is writing a book about insurance and innovation and technology and how to do it and some best practices, some wins, some loses, right? Isn't that what he's yeah. doing? Yeah,
2: yeah, he's writing about. Uh, he'll be talking about incumbents. He'll be talking about uh, startups and kind of the pros and cons. It sounds like of both, uh, but really, what does this world of disruption look like? And and you know, maybe how everybody prepares for it. You know, it, it's a little bit of a teaser. Uh, the book hasn't come out yet, but I'm very excited to read it whenever it does. And, and
1: Brian has a really cool perspective because he's not only a, an author and a coach and these things, but he's worked in claims departments as an executive. He's been an executive with, a, um, with an insure tech, Hi Marley. So he's been on both sides of this equation, of this ecosystem, if you will. And uh, I think it brings some insights to that.
2: Yeah, I say we jump on in and and let's listen to the guy who has done three TED Talks talk.
1: There you go. So without further ado, we'll shut up and listen to Brian Falchuk. Hey everybody, we're here with our guest today, a a uh, a veteran, you might say, <laughs> of <laughs> of the FNO, uh, insure tech podcast, Brian Falchuk. Hey Brian, welcome back. Hey. Thanks for having me on again. It's great to have you. Uh, yeah. um, we don't usually, we're not usually able to sucker, I mean, talk people into coming back for a second interview. This is great. What happened? Well, I'm very impressionable, so it doesn't take much.
2: <laughs> oh, that's great.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm really excited to be here. And <laughs> There you go. There you go. It took a minute.
2: Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Uh, full disclosure, we don't have Brian on video, so we can't cue him really easily. Um, yeah, into, into where d- what we want him to say.
0: We did talk about this at ITC when we all got to meet up in person in September. So it's been a has been a little while
1: coming.
2: That's so, true.
1: So since September, there's a lot of big and interesting changes in your life, or maybe not yeah. changes, just evolutions. Um yeah. which is a key word that I think we'll come back to a few times today. Why don't you uh, why don't you tell us how things have changed for you in the last six months or so?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, even just this week, I grew and shaved a beard, so that's been very different. Um, no, in all, uh, well, that did happen. But in all seriousness, yeah, I when we when we met up at ITC, I was there on behalf of an amazing insuretech that I'm, I've gotten to be a part of as an employee, but also uh, I'm still in a, a part of as an advisor, and that's that's the first major change. Is I was at this company, Hi Marley. Um, I was one of their early customers when I was head of claims at Hiscox. And uh, joined on as an advisor and, and left Hiscox and became their head of sales or head of growth, to, to put it nicer. Growth's a nicer word than sales. People are more likely to take your calls, right? Yes, um, that's true. totally. I uh, yeah.
1: Don't I know. Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, you know, really incredible to be a part of the early growth stage of that company. Um, and through that process i started to you know i was was talking to a lot of leaders at various carriers heads of claims ceos heads of it and i I got some consistent themes and at the same time you know we as an industry are facing a lot of disruption and there's a lot of consistent themes there and i i kept seeing how those those two sides of the equation were coming together and with my kind of unique background having been at both the carrier and the insure tech side um I decided to leave High Marley in uh, on January 1st or December 31st, whatever, some point around New Year's, um, really to do more work on how these two pressures or themes come together. And that's what I'm focusing on now. I still have, um, you know, we were talking before recording this other side of my life that's like author and, and speaker and coach. Um, so that continues on. But my insurance work is is a bit different now, and I'm trying to help carriers navigate this tricky spot we're in where, you know, as an industry, we're very handcuffed. I use the word handcuffs and and headwinds a lot. You know, we've got all these pressures working against us. We've got constraints we have, whether it's culture or politics or past systems and, and whatever else we feel is holding us back, you know, regulation, et cetera. And yet we've got these startup carriers who have none of that or less of that. And, several of them start their advertising or their marketing or their social media blitz with talking about how terrible insurance companies are. Right. And oh, yeah. that just doesn't sit well with me because I mean, yes, I'm biased. I came from carriers, but also because having run a claims organization and gotten to get to connect with so many others through my work at High Marley, I know how much these people care about the customers who need them. And so it's not that they're terrible. Is that they're a bit stuck, and they don't necessarily have the resources or feel they have the freedom to make things better. And I got to help a little bit with that through my work at High Morley, and I want to help more through the consulting and, and advising work that I'm doing now, and and a book that I'm sure we'll touch on too. Sure. Um, so that's kind of where where my my non motivational speaking side of my life is at right now.
1: You know, uh, you bring up a good point, and it wasn't what when I was planning on talking about. But sometimes um, we see in the and and we see it in the insurance industry. And sometimes we, those of us that have been in the industry for a very long time, sometimes we know too much.
2: Yeah, and right,
1: and and yeah. and and so you think that well, this can't work or that can't work because of this, this, and this reason, yeah. or or what have you. And um, new entrants come in, and they're not as encumbered by that kind of thinking. Yeah, very true. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Um, and, and at the same time, there's, there's things that they don't know that they presume. Um, you know, that was a lot of really interesting conversations, particularly at ITC with some of these startup carrier founders who are, you know, brilliant people, super well-intentioned, but there's a, a sort of hubris about the way some of them look at our space. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're talking about Rob Galbraith's book, the end of insurance before we were recording. And, and that's one of the things that he's trying to help with is it's not as simple and we're not as stupid as you think. Yeah. Um, right. And yes. I think that's part of, And so, some of those founders absolutely get that. Um, but others don't. And that's where the whole like, Oh, insurance sucks. And you know, that, that sort of mentality it's ignorance.
1: There's right. a lot more to it. It's really and, hard to
0: pull this off.
1: And in good times when the money is flowing, and abundant, and all these other things, it's it's a, a lot easier to float a boat than in turbulent times. For sure, yeah. Um, and and we'll see, <laughs> maybe we'll see <laughs> that in the not too distant future. Let's Gosh, hope not. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but I want to ask you about your unique perch that you've been in, that yeah. not a lot of people have had the opportunity of, and that is being an executive, and in your case, on the claims side. Yeah. Um, uh, being in the C-suite on the claim side of a carrier and also, you know, having a kind of an equivalent level job at an insure tech, share with us some of the insights that you've gained from being on, you know, if you will, both sides of the fence.
0: Well, on the carrier side, I really was, was lucky, um, yeah, I've worked for some some really cool businesses, some cool carriers. Um, Hiscox will always be the the one that's closest to my heart. For, for I mean, for a variety of reasons. First of all, like my team was unbelievable. I I literally love those people. I I miss them a lot. Um, but Hiscox the the Hiscox I worked for, and you know, every company changes over time. But while I was there, it was certainly an incredibly driven, innovative place, and that's one of the reasons why I was able to be first, second, third, something like that customer of high Marley's Uh, depends when you, when you do the actual measurement, like was it when the pilot started or the press release went out and we're all a little bit defensive of who actually gets to be first, but officially it was West Bend insurance. Um, And I'm, and I'm not bitter about that at all, which you can't see with the video. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: No, we hear it in your voice, right?
0: I can't imagine why, No, but that, that, I don't know that that would have happened at a lot of other places and um, I felt really lucky for that. So I was at an organization that was willing to say, you know, we don't know everything. We have a lot of constraints and yet our customers don't shouldn't be constrained by our constraints. We need to find a way to do better anyway. Um, and that's, you know, that's not a common cultural shout or it certainly wasn't in 2017. Um, I have seen a lot of movement since then, and that's fantastic. We were also, we were on the smaller side. When I joined, it was just, it was around 400 million the month I joined. And when I left, it was about 800 million. So wow. still, you know, now it's, it's gotta be a, about a billion. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the company doubled, we're still relatively small from a staff standpoint. You know, I think I was like the 23rd person on the claims team. And when I left, there was 60 something and, and now they've added a lot, Um, so there, you know, it's, but relatively speaking, look, I used to work at Liberty Mutual. There were thousands Uh in, you know, one claims office. Um, so on the scale of things is a smaller organization. That means you can affect change a lot faster and a lot more directly. And we took advantage of that. So that primed me, I think, to see that there are ways to do it in this world of, of being constrained. And then to go to the insure tech side you know, you have a lot of freedom, but you don't have the financial cap, you know, the financial kind of wherewithal, um, even if you're well-funded, you still have runway and you're still not bringing in enough to ultimately support yourself without more funding. And that's a very different mindset. You know, for me, like I remember we had a particularly bad claim, um, tons of money, (laughs) even after reinsurance, it was approaching $10 million in that one claim. And, um, you know, it it wasn't a happy thing. I didn't like to have to talk about it or get the approvals. You know, I could sign up to 5 million, but I certainly couldn't sign this one. Um, I wasn't for a second worried that this was a bet the company or risk the company kind of payout. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, reserves aside, like that just didn't, that didn't come into place. High Marley's a round was smaller than the value of that claim. Hmm. So, you know, just totally different kind of feel when it's like, do do I expense this muffin that I just got for breakfast or, you know, yeah. um, I've always been really like, I don't think anyone ever liked traveling with me because I generally like, I, I am pretty careful about how I spend. Um, you can say cheap. That's okay. Cheapest I I'm I'm profit focused. Let's put it like that. But I am. Like <laughs> I do. Go. I you know, I take the subway instead of a cab in New York City, A, because it's a lot faster and B because it's significantly cheaper. But I care about those things. Um, but it's a totally different thing with the startup, is like like you need people desperately, and every little dime that you spend impacts your ability to do that. So that's a very different kind of world to live in. Um and to have to on the other side of the sort of sales and pitching equation is, is really difficult. And of course, like I had a different appreciation for that because I was on the receiving end. So I know what's annoying and what isn't, and I know what might break through and what doesn't. And I know what, you know, for me, I was really lucky when I've reached out. It's not like, Hey, I'm some random salesperson. The only insurance experience I have is being dedicated to selling an insurance. I've, I've been you, you know, I've literally sat in your seat, walked in your shoes, lived what your people are living. I know what your life is like, so when you tell me this is my problem or this is my constraint, I actually understand exactly what you're saying. That's a really different position to be in, and people will open up to you and explain things in a way that they probably wouldn't if you were just the insurance vertical sales guy at Company X.
2: Right. You know, Brian, what I think is really interesting is that is that you're able to make this whole um, this whole world make sense and that you're able to take your past experience and really look at what's going on. So so you've worked with insurance companies, you've worked with insurtech startups, yeah. but you have this whole other prior life, right, where you've you've written books yeah. and 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 have actually spoken on on TED Talks. Yeah. I want to see if first I I'm very interested in, in the TED Talk. I don't know if that's out of order, but is that something you can talk about <laughs> uh what is it like doing a TED Talk? Why yeah. Why, why did that or how how did that even come about?
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm happy to talk about it. So I've done three now. Um, it's been almost a year since my last one, and the video finally, like last week, finally hit YouTube. So I can I can actually share it, which is pretty cool. Um yeah. so for me, you know, that that whole side of my life, which is very much still going on. Yeah, you know, I recently put out my second book. I'm still um I'm going to give another talk in a couple of weeks uh to a, an undergrad business population at a at a, a school in New Jersey. Um, you know, I'm still doing that stuff. I'm coaching a bunch of people right now as well. And you could say, well, that's like a totally different version of me. Like I've, you know, many hats, but actually they all intertwine, especially as I've moved up in my career and like being in a leadership role versus, you know, a line role or even just a manager, um, leadership to me is about that connection with the individual because why else would they want to follow you through anything? And so my work in that space, the writing I do, the speaking, all of it directly contributes, I think, to what has been a really amazing uh, career in the insurance industry. So they are totally intertwined, despite what anyone might look at on the surface. Like, oh, you're writing about like your life story or your relationship with your wife. Like, what does that have to do with reserve ratios? Reserving. Um, maybe a lot, maybe not a lot. But for me, in terms of how I live it, it's pretty front and center because it's ultimately about people. Um, so that's always been going on for me. And and you can see when I started to get into that work is when my career really, like my, my ascension into leadership really kicked in. Um, so I, I wrote a book that I think we might've talked about in the past. Um, I don't know. It's called Do a Day is my first book it came out in March yeah. of 2017. And that's, my own story of my battle with obesity and anxiety uh this moment when it looked like my wife was not going to survive in 2011 the doctor called to you know say there's nothing else to do and she wasn't going to make it and that he's going on vacation and then he hung up wow Um, wow so like that you know that dramatically changed my life and my approach to it and out of it i developed a sort of philosophy on how I live that I call do a day and I started coaching people with it. So this is kind of the genesis of the work I do today. Um, and when I, when I put the book out, there were two things I wanted to achieve. And funny enough, this story is my third TEDx. Um, the first is I said, I want to do a TED talk. Yeah. And it, not a TEDx, a full on TED talk. Now I still haven't done that, but I've done three TEDx's and there's got to be some kind of conversion ratio where it adds up to enough to equal. The <laughs> yeah. Paper, but maybe. I,
2: yeah. I think so.
0: Um, but you know, that, that was one of them. And the second, and everyone was really supportive of that goal. The second goal everyone laughed at me for, and that was to be, uh, on the couch in the woods with Oprah on super soul Sunday. And (sighs) to be fair, like I I used Photoshop and put my head on someone else's body. And so like, it looks really funny and that's part of why they laugh. But it's also like, I got the Ted talk Oprah thing. That's ridiculous. well, the thing is, it is and it isn't. It's only ridiculous in the sense that, do I care about you laughing at me? And is that going to stop me from going for it? So the TED Talk or TEDx or whatever the goal is, I had things that were not like, it's not because I want to get on TV or I want to have a video that lots of people watch. It's to be able to do those things is a sign that I'm having the level of impact on other people and giving them some tools to help change their lives at such a scale that it would warrant me getting on those stages. Yeah, that's why I had those goals. And so for me, when the book, you know, when the book was coming together, um, it was sort of a no-brainer. It's like I'm going to start reaching out to these TEDx organizers and pitch, you know, or apply or you know whatever their process is, because I think this needs to be helped, This needs to be shared. And and the more speaking I've done, and you know, when people read the book, or I've got a podcast tied to it i hear on almost a a daily basis from someone who was touched by it and that's why i do this stuff so that the tedx was like that's another way i can help someone change their life so that's really critical for me
2: yeah that that's really amazing and so from from the do a day book uh you launch into your second book what was that one about so
0: the second book's title is less catchy, but it's uh the 50-75-100 solution build better relationships. Um, mm-hmm. And it needs the second part cuz people are like, "Oh god, it's a math book." And they hear yeah. the numbers. Um it's all about relationships that maybe are dysfunctional or maybe they're they're fine, but they're not quite what they could be, and the reality is every relationship could be better. Um and we all we all have relationships that could be better. So this isn't just for a certain audience or or a certain context. It's not just about romantic relationships. It's not just about your family or your spouses and siblings. And um, it's, it's not just a parent kids, it's business as well. And um, that's what I realized is through working through some issues in my own marriage, kind of the vestige of my wife's health issue back in 2011 that is still with us today, but her life's not in jeopardy. Um, it just changed the dynamic in our marriage pretty dramatically and and um, it took it it took some really tough moments and some work, uh, some really extreme work to start to make the right kind of progress and in that process some things that I was introduced to and enlightened by just started to come together really clearly for me as a different approach to the difficulties in my relationship with her and then other relationships I was struggling with and I, when I did the, I did a TEDx on this idea as well. And uh, I share the story from work and I won't say which company and I won't say who it was with, but, um, I was in a senior role at a, a, you know, successful business and my peer, um, had, I come to find out she had screwed something up pretty majorly and was hiding it. And unknowingly I had sort of stumbled across exposing it. Um, but I didn't know that's what I was doing. And so she went from being, a, a friend and you know close colleague who i trusted to someone who suddenly was attacking me pretty nastily and trying to get me fired and i had no clue why like we had dinner one day and like three days later she's sending this scathing email to our ceo about how incompetent i am and how i need to go and And by the way i'm cc'd on it along with our cfo mm, so that wow. was that was good um <laughs> so You know, I I had that going on. I had marriage stuff going on and I'm reading this book on Buddhism that a counselor who I was going to, to work on my relationship with my wife more accurately to give me more coping mechanisms to deal with how my wife was right and I was wrong uh, or I was wrong and she was right. But, you know, that's how she saw everything. And of course I felt the opposite. Like, I just need to put up with it. I'm, I'm good. Like, it's not me, it's her. So I just need to be able to like hold my tongue. Um, which uh, FYI, that's never the case. It's not one of you and not the other. It's both of you. right? Um, but yeah, like I started to get introduced to this stuff and it blew my mind. And there were three particular ideas that really came together that just opened my eyes and I started to apply them um and almost instantly with my wife it took about 2 weeks with this coworker it literally happened in the course of a single meeting where she thought that was the meeting she was it was like me her CEO CFO she thought that's where I was going to get canned um and that's not what happened at all so um i was like this is really powerful and i started to use it with people i was coaching and you know cuz everyone's got relationship issues that they want to work on so we worked on some of those with it and it was working and I was like, there's more to it. Now, at the time I was writing for Ink Magazine and uh, I was like, I'll write an article on it. And, you know, their article is like 800 to a thousand words. So that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I, by like <laughs> word 4,000, I'm like, uh, right. this isn't working. <laughs> so, um, I you know, eventually it was like, I need to write a book on this. And that's where the second book came from. Um, and it just came out November of 2019. So it, that one took a little while to get out because I've had, you know, a... a Pretty full full time job or two in the in the course of that, um, and uh, you know, still at Hiscox when it all came together. Um, so it's been it's been a lot of of effort for something that I think literally everybody needs, and especially you know, insurance. Like, what's the first thing everyone says? It's a relationship, other than making business. some joke about it. Yeah, it's it's a relationship business. There you go. And and I don't care how much AI and predictive analytics we ever have and how many drones are doing all the field work or not, um, it's always a relationship business. If you don't know how to relate to people, even through your computers and your apps and whatever, they're not going to choose you. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to work with you. They're not going to renew, come back to, want to work for you, promote you. Like None of those things happen if you don't know how to relate to people.
1: So Brian, tell us about the new book you you've been on a journey with something new, a little bit different for you, a uh, topic, those one that you're certainly very qualified to write on. So why don't you tell us about that? And, and what you're thinking what was behind it? Yeah. So when I was writing the first two people asked what, what the subject was,
0: and I would jokingly say it's about insurance and then they'd kind of roll their eyes, but you know, that, that wasn't true, but now it actually is. So that's my joke now is like, I need some other, some other funny re- thing that I'm writing about. Um, so I'm writing about insurance and, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier on around this kind of, this spot that existing carriers are in. Um, it's called the future of insurance from disruption to evolution. And uh, essentially it's this idea that, you know, for for us in the incumbent carrier space, and I, I still wear that hat, even though technically I'm not at a carrier anymore, um, we face so many constraints. Whether it's you know the regulation side, um, the uh, the legacy systems that we have that don't allow us to do things, or even just the cost of them that we're still facing, or maybe we've been burnt by it. You know, we've we spent three hundred million dollars for eight years on a core system, and it's not anything like what we thought it would be. And maybe it's not even done yet. You know, it's it's pain. Um, you know, our hierarchy, our culture, our politics our whatever. Um, maybe it's our structure. So, you know, are we a mutual? And so that limits our access to capital in some ways that a stock company wouldn't have or we're a stock company and we got to worry about the quarterly results. And so it makes us a little bit gun shy about some of the investment um, because we, you know, we need to make sure, oh, you know, we're going into cat season. And so we can't be spending on our systems like that because we may need that buffer in case the, the cats hit. Um, wh- whatever it may be. And there's a ton of different examples out there of some of these handcuffs or, Constraints or headwinds, whatever you want to call them, it makes us feel like—and this is the refrain I kept hearing in my sales capacity, sorry, growth capacity at High Marley—growth is, growth. yeah, we're too far behind and we can't do anything about it. Oh, we can't do this because blah blah blah, and we're stuck and feeling sort of beaten down and like it's too late. And you know, coming from the claims world, claims often doesn't get or hasn't gotten a lot of the investment that some of the other spaces have because it's, in essence, it's a cost center. Um, I would say it's the core product, but you know it's money going out. And so there's a lot of efficiency work, but in terms of really investing in making things dramatically better from a customer experience standpoint, yes, there are absolutely exceptions to this, but a lot of carriers haven't done that. They put in a, a new core system and that's been really expensive and painful, but beyond that, it's been more limited. Um, and so you, you just, you get this kind of downtrodden stuck sense from a lot of the carriers I've talked to. Um, or they've talked about innovation and they're just feeling like it's a buzzword, but they're not really, they're not really seeing how it's helping them yet. Or there's new ideas coming in, but they can't do anything with it. So yeah. that's on the one side. And the other is that disruptive threat. You know, I, I talk in the opening of the book about when I was joining insurance in 2000, there was a disruptive threat, but it was from e-commerce. This was before the letter I was used in anything having to do with the internet. It was all E, right? E-business, e-commerce, e-trading. And it was, you know, there, there are going to be these exchanges and that's how insurance is going to be sold. And uh, the transaction will all be done through the internet and, and XML and SEMC was being kicked around. Like there's a lot of promise, but it wasn't all these new carriers are going to start up. And they're going to enable a customer experience that you've never even dreamt of and couldn't touch if you tried. That wasn't what was going on in 2000, but that is what's going on now. And so yeah. while there's still a lot of really cool new enabling tech, which is what all that e-commerce stuff really was, and Hi Marley is part of that, what, what is different today is the number of carriers that are starting up. And some are MGAs, so you know maybe I'm using the term loosely, but... There are a lot of, there's the facilitation of the startup of a carrier is dramatically different than it ever has been. And those startups are not encumbered by a lot of the same burdens. Yes, they face regulation, but they don't have, you know, a hundred years of cultural movement in one direction or another. They don't have the same staff counts. I mean, that sounds like a small thing, but it isn't because if you want to get an organization to move, it's a lot easier to do that with 30 people than 30,000 people. So, you know, you, you keep looking at all these things and it's like, they can move a lot more nimbly than we can, but where they're stuck a little bit is the actual act of being an insurance company. So are they profitable from an underwriting standpoint? No. But then again, most startups aren't, even if they're, you know, the startup unit of an existing carrier, because you got to have a big enough book and smooth the losses and all that. Right. But still the threat exists. And the advertising is very anti-existing carrier. And they're doing things that existing carriers may feel like we can't do that. Like there there are ways of interacting with them. There are nuances to how they're delivering their service offering that are just, they seem out of touch. To me, having seen both sides of the equation, you know, living in the insure tech world and the carrier world, I'm, I'm sort of seeing through both of those lenses and also transparently looking where others might see opacity. And what that's allowed me to do is see, like, you're not as stuck as you think you are. There are ways to work around what you're talking about. And I think I've pulled out some of those nuances from looking across all these carriers that have succeeded in different pockets, but maybe not across the board in the way some of these startups have talked. And that's what I'm aiming to help with. So the book is, you know, some commentary and opening for me, sort of setting the stage, like, you know, the, this whole disruptive theme right. of where we're at today. But then I, I move very quickly into a series of case studies of some really fantastic carriers across the size and line of business spectrum and across the functional spectrum uh-huh. that have done, I don't want to use the word innovative things, because I think in our industry, innovation has become a loaded phrase, but they've done really interesting evolutionary things. And they've learned a ton in that process and that's what they shared with me. So I've been really lucky to get a number of carriers who have been really open about, look, this is what we did. This is mm-hmm. how it went. This is all the great stuff. And you know mm-hmm. what? This is where we could have done better. And if we did mm-hmm. it today, we would have been faster because we learned X, Y, Z.
1: And the hope is so, is, that, is that others can read this and be inspired- Take the lessons, yeah. By those, by those lessons and that yeah. thinking.
0: So the cases read like stories, and then I wrap them up with three, four bullets of here are the takeaways- Uh And then at the end, pull it all together and say, okay, look, it's not about like this case is is about fraud. It's not about using that tool for fraud, although that's fine if you want to. The the one in there, I think is a great tool. It's not about that. It's about what did that carrier learn in that process to be able to do this if you're looking at something similar. So it's not a one-to-one, like this is the cookie cutter approach to solving for fraud in an insure tech enabled world. It's about how you do innovation or evolution. Let me, let and me, those let me, are the themes that come together.
1: Let me ask you about um, is customer engagement in your book? Because I look at Hi Marley yeah. as you know a good example of you know an alt- a new way to engage the yeah. customer. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and we had we've had some other people on. We we talk about customer engagement frequently because customer engagement, let's face it, is something that the insurance industry has, I'll say, struggled with.
0: And that's what the disruptors uh, are
1: focused on. Right. And, and like we've had Hippo on a, different people from Hippo on a couple of times and they're very focused on customer engagement. And yeah. there's other people who say there's no such thing as customer engagement in insurance. It's a, it's a, it's a fallacy. Yeah. But, um, so tell us about how customer engagement fits into your book and, and very quickly what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, it absolutely does. Hi, Marley is one of the case studies in there with, with a carrier I got really close to and think the world of Ohio Mutual. Um, And there's, there's others that do it outside of claims as well. I think uh, to me, it's actually, it's, it's CX customer experience or customer engagement is, is really tied into that. I think that's the battleground. It's not about innovating on being a carrier, like the nuts and bolts of capital management and risk transfer. Like, yes, there's, definitely things we can all do better with that and that will continue to move forward. But that, that's the legacy, um, the legacy thing of, of being a carrier has always been that, and you need to be good at that and you need to keep getting better at that because capital is moving more freely, but the battleground and where the insure tech space and the new style of, of thinking around this, like design think and other evolutionary ways of addressing this, that is largely around how you engage with the customer and the customer, to you, if you're intermediated, the customer may not be one you can touch as freely, or there may be a sensitivity that you need to be mindful of around you know, the, the distributor who technically owns that relationship and may be protective of it. So maybe it's about your interaction with the distributor and not the insured. Maybe it is about both. But either way, we cannot go on interacting the way we, we always have. And I think that's you know, I'm not I'm not all negative on the startup carriers, and I think the best thing that's come from them is it's a really good challenge. In the same way that Tesla has woken up the auto industry to electrification, um, I'm very excited for the Ford Mach E to come out. I think that's going to be super cool. That I doubt that would have been there without Tesla doing what they did.
2: So tell me this, Brian, when it, when it comes down, who wins or is it a a little bit of everybody? will the, uh, incumbents win? Will the startups win? Uh,
0: So I I do think ultimately the, the incumbents are who will be here in the long run. I think it's foolish to say no startups will win. And I think it's foolish to say all startups will win. It's like anything like there will, I mean, look at, you know, the last, the last period of disruption is 2000. Um, like the, the dot-com bubble burst. Most of the tech powerhouses we have today did not exist then. And they weren't the companies that were battling it out then, but Amazon did. Apple sort of predates all that, but Google didn't exist yet. YouTube didn't, well, that's still Google, but that didn't exist yet. Um, Mm -hmm. AOL was a powerhouse buying Time Warner. They're an irrelevant part of Verizon now, along with Yahoo. So to look at it and say everyone's winning or everyone's not going to win, I think that's wrong. I think carriers, legacy carriers, should watch their hubris about the insured tax and vice versa. But I think on the whole, it's still going to be the incumbent carriers, and a few of them have done unbelievable things of late. Watch, watch them. You know, why, why? we're talking about coverager. Yes. There's there's really Go cool ahead. stories of existing carriers doing some really cool things that you know coverager is is talking about. That's why I don't think you get to count them out.
1: Why do you think? Um, why do you think that? Why? 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 Why do you think that?
0: Because ultimately, you can't just be good at CX and survive as a carrier. You still have to be able to make money in underwriting, mm-hmm. and I think you can do both. And to me, actually, the hard part is the core carrier stuff. It's not to say CX is easy, and if it was easy, we wouldn't be having this discussion at all. But I think it's completely doable. It's just up to you to figure out whether you're up for doing it. The tools are all there. There are so many amazing insuretech tech solutions that, you know, they're delivered through SaaS. You can pull them in relatively easily. There are new core systems that have more flexibility wow. than some of the past. APIs make things a lot easier. The tools are there for us to be able to move the needle on CX very meaningfully, very quickly, if we're willing to. Um, you know, the sales cycle in our industry is notoriously slow. I I don't think I can give the specifics of what it was and what we got it to at High Marley, but anyone I talk to from this industry is shocked at how fast we can move. And that's because actually it's always been there. It's just a question of the willingness and the ability of, of some of these insurtechs to recognize, hey, you know, we need to flex a little bit to understand our insurance partners and the insurers to maybe let go of some of the concern. Like early days, it was, you know, the cloud. We can't work on the cloud. We don't, you know, it's not safe. Well, guess what? Like AWS is way more secure than any of your data centers will ever be. And most carriers have gotten there. Not all of them, but most. So that's one of those things that with a bit of time, a lot of the concerns are starting to slip away or we don't work with startups. You're too new. Okay, well, you know, that doesn't mean that we're better or worse than someone else. Age is not a skill set. Um, so a lot of those kinds of concerns, they have been lessening over time. So I think that the barriers to moving on CX are coming down and now it's a question of how do we do it?
2: Well, Brian, we thank you so much for the time to come on today and, and talk about it. You know, you have a great past and all this knowledge I think is really going to, uh, work out great with, with, with the new book. So, uh, congratulations with that. What's the publishing date?
0: Yeah. So it's going to come out at Connected Claims 2020. So that's, I don't know if it's cool. going to be on June 24th or 25th, but I'm going to be uh, chairing the innovation stage there. And so this will come out as part of that. And it's called the future of insurance from disruption to evolution.
2: Well, we can't wait to have you back on afterwards. As soon as it comes out, we will get a copy. We will read it. And uh, as long as you're okay, we'd love to have have, have you back on. I'd we'll oh, love to come it. back
1: on. Can, we'll promote, can we promote it, Lee? Can we do that too?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I certainly won't stop you.
1: That'll that'll sell four books for you. So look forward to that surge. Awesome. Happening.
0: That's that's half the insurance reading population. It's great.
2: That's right. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Brian always has a lot to say. That was interesting. I like yeah. what he had to say about uh, case studies. I'll look forward to reading those.
2: Yeah, I think he's doing a lot of research and, and really going to talk to the people who are actively involved in both sides of this world of insurance. And uh, I'm excited to see what everyone says. I, he's very passionate about it. Uh, not a lot of people want to go write a book on insurance, uh, but he's excited about it. And and I'm very excited to, to read it as well.
1: Well, we talked before we before we recorded today we talked about Rob Galbraith and what he's done in the book that he wrote. Yeah. And now Brian is is kind of building on top of that and also taking it in a different direction. I think that that's great. I mean there's it's it's it, I think part of the reason is is because it's a really interesting time and there's stories to be told here. And information to be disseminated, which is kind of what we're doing on the podcast in a weird way, too, right? I mean, there's just there's a lot of stuff to talk about now that hasn't been there necessarily in the past with insurance.
2: Well, and that's what I said at the beginning of this podcast was I like I like doing podcasts because you learn things uh, that are going on out there. Uh, There are things I didn't know. Before I do a podcast that I know afterwards and uh, just like we talked today, I don't know where this world of, of disruption is going to go. I don't know how I do know that the, that the startups will influence uh, all of these larger insurance carriers and they already have. Uh, but what does is, what is five years, 10 years look like? Uh, so anyway, let's let's wait until he writes that book and let's give it a read. Yeah.
1: We'll look forward to that. And we thank Brian for being with us uh, again. And thank you all for being with us as always. And we appreciate your subscribing to us and listening to us. And until the next time we meet, we will say goodbye, everybody.